Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Wednesday. This is Seattle Now. When you need medical care, do you consider whether the hospital or clinic you're visiting is religious or secular? In Washington, due to mergers, about half the hospitals are Catholic-run, and that can complicate access to things like abortion, gender-affirming care, and death with dignity. A new bill would authorize public oversight of hospital mergers and whether they would impact access to care. Seattle Times reporter Nina Shapiro is here to talk about the bill and our local hospital network. But first, let's get you caught up. Check your Powerball ticket. The Washington State Lottery says a winning ticket with all six numbers was sold at a Fred Meyer in Auburn. The ticket is worth $754.6 million, the ninth largest Powerball prize in history and probably the number one most amazing thing that'll ever happen at that Fred Meyer. Jaywalking may soon no longer be a crime in Washington. The Seattle Bike Blog reports the House Transportation Committee is holding a hearing today on HB 1428. In Seattle, jaywalking tickets have disproportionately targeted black pedestrians in recent years, and this new law is an effort to fix that. But don't worry, rule followers. The law would still require pedestrians to exercise due care for their safety. And remember Bing? It heard all of your disdain, and now it's getting a fancy new upgrade with OpenAI. To challenge Google's search engine dominance, Microsoft is partnering with OpenAI, the research lab that gave us ChatGPT. The company hopes the new Bing can go beyond delivering search results to answering questions conversationally and offering insight and context. It's currently live for a limited preview. The Seattle area is a leader in medicine, with some of the state's top hospitals right here in the city. Some of these care providers are run by religious institutions, including big names like Providence and Swedish. Like we said at the top of the show there, almost half of our state's hospitals are religiously affiliated. And while some local branches are secular, the relationship to the church creates complications for abortion care, birth control, death with dignity care, and gender-affirming care. Washington's landscape of religiously affiliated health care is the result of a series of mergers. Now, legislators have proposed a bill to provide public oversight for hospital mergers. Seattle Times reporter Nina Shapiro is here to explain how care is affected by religious hospitals and give us details of the bill. Nina, glad you're here. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on. Washington State has one of the highest percentages of religiously affiliated hospitals in the country. And I'm thinking about Providence, Swedish, and Virginia Mason. Can you tell us about the network in Seattle? There's quite an extensive network of religiously affiliated hospitals. In fact, more than not so. So Providence is a really big player. And Providence has all the Swedish facilities. So there are four or five Swedish facilities in the Puget Sound area. And then most recently, uh, Virginia Mason merged with a Franciscan system. So Virginia Mason is now part of a Catholic institution. And so that doesn't leave all that much, really. It leaves all the University of Washington hospitals and group health, uh, or what used to be group health. Now Kaiser has some hospital beds. The VA, I mean, the, the options have really become much more limited. And I think that's what people don't realize. It actually took me by surprise. Yeah, 
As we mentioned at the top, the affiliations with the church are due to mergers between healthcare providers. How does this show up for patients in terms of accessing care? So Catholic hospitals as a whole, and, and it's not just hospitals, I should mention, it's also physicians' clinics and hospices and all sorts of facilities that can be linked to a Catholic organization. And, and that's worth keeping in mind when you talk about these issues. Catholic healthcare in general follows ethical and religious directives. And those directives uh, prohibit uh, abortion, medical aid in dying, contraception, including vasectomies and tubal ligations, and some forms of fertility treatment. And in addition to that, there are all sorts of interpretations of these guidelines. And so uh, some Catholic facilities will limit their transgender care, uh, particularly when when it comes to um, gender-affirming surgery. So what does that mean for patients? How does this impact them when they're looking for care? Different healthcare facilities interpret and implement these rules differently. And so some are more strict, some are lax. Some physicians have workarounds or some healthcare facilities have permitted physicians to have workarounds. And Swedish is a really interesting example of that. And another reason why it's hard to figure out is because it's not always transparent. In fact, it's often not transparent. So, you know, these are private institutions. There are some rules from the state about posting policies in some areas onto a state website. But even then, it's not clear exactly what that means. And even providers sometimes aren't clear what that means. And, and you know, an interesting example is around implementing the death with dignity law. And so some providers think that it, believe that their policies limit what they can do even on their off time, even when they're not working for their facility. So um, there's confusion even within these institutions about what these policies mean. And it can be hard for members of the public to know. You know, Nina, this sounds like a difficult situation for healthcare providers who are just trying to do the best for their patients and provide patient care. But in terms of being a patient, how would I know, how would I be informed that my care may be complicated because I'm at a Catholic hospital? I think sometimes you're not. I think that's what what patients are sometimes worried about. For instance, abortion, hospitals will say, well, we provide medically necessary abortions, but what does that mean? And you have to dig into the details and you wouldn't necessarily know this as a patient, but, you know, fetal anomalies, for instance, is kind of a gray area. So a fetal anomaly that threatens your health, but does it, does it threaten your health to the point of endangering your life? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like doctors have been working around some of these policies, Nina. What are they saying to you about having to do that, about what that means for them as physicians and providers? The OBGYN I talked to at Swedish said, look, 
um, I'm not Catholic, and I wouldn't be here if I couldn't provide all these services. So I think she felt, at least in what she was saying to me, she she felt satisfied that she was providing all the care that she needed to provide. And of course, as you mentioned previously, in rural areas where there may be only one hospital that is religiously affiliated, it can be more difficult for patients because there are actually no other options. Right. There are no options, not only because they're not secular options, but also there may not be clinics. You know, there may not be Planned Parenthood clinics, for instance, near them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What stories did you hear from patients who were navigating this? You know, I talked to the daughter of a woman who who has since died, but who experienced that situation of being told by a provider uh, that the provider could no longer help her with the death with dignity. And the patient who has now died was very mad, but so was her daughter. And her daughter was so mad, not, you know, worried not just about that, but all of these other kinds of care that we talked about, that she and her whole family have filled out advanced directives saying if they get taken to a religious hospital in emergency, they want to be transferred to a secular hospital as soon as possible, which I thought was a really kind of stunning example of the passion around this issue by some community members. Well, and how important it is, right, maybe to be informed of the care you're going to be receiving. All right. Legislators are concerned about this, Nina. Healthcare mergers are becoming more and more common. They're calling for more oversight here. The Keep Our Care Act is similar to legislation passed in California and Oregon. What's in that bill? So this bill would specifically authorize the attorney general to have a public process uh, analyzing these mergers and to look at whether it would impact care and whether it would negatively affect um, all kinds of care, but it specifically calls out uh, reproductive health care, end-of-life care, gender-affirming care. There's concern on a variety of fronts. You know, I should say that this is a reintroduction of a bill that happened last year. The bill didn't get anywhere last year. And what will be interesting is whether it gets any more support this year because of the overturning of Roe, which has made people so much more aware of the abortion issue. Yes, and pro-choice organizations, nurses groups, and secular health advocates are in support of the bill. The Washington Hospital Association opposes it. What are they saying? What they say is that, look, this is a turbulent time in healthcare. There are real financial pressures on institutions because of COVID, as well as other reasons. A a lot of institutions are struggling, are on the verge of bankruptcy, and those institutions may go under if mergers are blocked. But we are seeing support for this bill from the attorney general and the governor, right? It's certainly a priority, and the governor had included this legislation with his list of bills protecting abortion rights. You know, I think people are looking at it with a somewhat new lens. And even if it doesn't pass this year, what people are hoping is that it will gain 
traction and be able to pick up momentum for subsequent years. All right. Nina Shapiro, Seattle Times reporter, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers, Vaughn Jones, and Brandy Fullwood. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow.